Well, we're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 this morning. It's just three verses, and we're going to look at um, some stages of spiritual growth that John identifies. Uh, but a quick review, uh, John has written this letter. It's written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, who touched Jesus, who experienced the reality of God in human flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. John was an eyewitness. John was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. And John was the last surviving apostle. He died as an old man in the city of Ephesus, and he writes to the church in Ephesus in these letters. And he's writing to them to give them certainty and confidence in their faith. The reason John writes this letter is to give certainty and confidence in our faith. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to be uncertain. We can, we can be confident. We can have hope. In Jesus Christ. And John is writing that we would know. And so he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, uh, it'll be on the screen right here. He says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Everybody say, that you may know. Amen. That you may know. John has written that we may know that we could have certainty and confidence and hope in the reality of who God is, of who Jesus Christ is, and who we are in Jesus Christ. We can know, we can have hope. We can have confidence, and John writes to us so that we won't uh, be uncertain, so that we won't uh, wander around in our faith, so that we won't be tossed about by the storms of life. He's written that we could have hope and confidence in our faith. And so last week, we, we looked at a couple of realities in, in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, let me turn there. In... First uh, John chapter two in verse three, he says, this is how we know that we know. This is how we know that we know. So John doubles down on this idea that we could know. He says, I don't want you to just know. I want you to know that you know, right? He says, this is how we can know that we know if we keep his commandments. And, and John identifies that as we follow Jesus with our life, our life will be transformed, and it starts with uh, the right beliefs. It starts with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So First John, the beginning of chapter two tells us that Jesus is our advocate. He is, he is at the right hand of the Father pleading our case to the Father, but he is also our atonement. That means he paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. And the, the foundation of knowing is knowing who Jesus is and what he has done for us and putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus. And so as we seek to keep God's commandments, it will start with right belief, with right belief, but that belief will lead to right behavior. That belief, that faith will then lead to right behavior. The, the doing the right things doesn't gain us a relationship with God. It is putting our faith in Jesus, but when we have come to a place of sincere, authentic, true faith in Jesus Christ, then it transforms our lives, and our desires change, and our behavior changes to reflect the goodness and the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and, and then we begin to grow in our faith. So John is writing this letter so that we can know that we know 
that we are children of God. That he, he wants us to know whether our faith is real or whether we have some kind of counterfeit faith. You know, the best way to know the difference between something that's real and something that's counterfeit is to really study the things that are real, right? If you wanna know the difference between a fake $100 bill and a real $100 bill, then, then get really familiar with the real $100 bill. Someone who works at, at the bank as a bank teller as they're flipping through money, when they come across a counterfeit bill, they know right away because they, they, they're around money all day long. They touch it, they handle it, they look at it. And when that counterfeit comes through, they go, oh, flag that one. I remember I sold a couch one time on like Craigslist or OfferUp or something. It was before OfferUp. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Online, there's, it's kind of like the classifieds in the newspaper, except it's online now. Uh, so I sold the couch and I think I sold it for a hundred bucks or maybe 200 bucks. And, and the person gave me two $100 bills, but they were the old $100 bills. And I thought, there's no way these things are real. But I didn't know how to say, I can't take your money. I don't think it's real. So I took the money and I remember just walking around with these things and thinking, if I go try to use these, you know, I'm, 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 how am I going to explain? Anyway, they were real. Don't worry. I know you were like the suspense was killing you. They were real. I took them to the bank and said, I'm going to give you these things because I don't know what to do with them. And they gave me, I think I deposited it. That's the story. <laughs> Fake money, real money. Right, if we want to know the real thing from what is counterfeit, then we need to study the real thing. Not the, not the counterfeit thing. We need to study the real thing. If we want to tell the difference between a real Rolex watch and a fake Rolex watch that you bought in New York City on the street corner, it's the reason it only costs $30, guys. And you might not be able to tell the difference, but you take that to a jeweler, to a watchmaker, and they go, oh, that's a fake. They can smell the difference, you know? So if you want to have a $30 faith, then, you know, you can get that fake Rolex. But if you want the real thing, John is saying, I'm writing so that you can know that you know, so that you can know that you know that your faith is genuine. One of those fake designer handbags, right? I've, I've been in New York City and they said, come here, let me, and they take you to the little secret room above the acupuncture shop. They've got all these purses. John is writing so that we can know that we know the difference between the real genuine article, genuine faith in Christ, faith that transforms, faith that changes our behavior, faith that changes our eternity, and what is false. And there are lots of people who desire to be spiritual, who want to be people of faith, but they don't really want the real thing because they don't want to change. They just want to have this faith that fits neatly in, um, you know, in their pocket. They can take it out when they want to and, and look good in front of people. They can take it out when they're having a hard time and they just want to feel better. When they're, when they're praying for something that they want, but they don't want the real genuine faith. And, and John is writing so that we can understand real and genuine faith from 
faith that is not real. And so he says, you, you will know, you will know, you will know. He also talks about false teachers. He says, if you think you have faith, but you believe this, then you're a liar. <laughs> he, we identified last week that John says you're a liar a lot of times in this letter. It's not to be mean, it's to help us understand the real from the counterfeit because he wants us to know. All right, you get the idea? Everybody say, that you may know. That you may know. John wants us to know. And so this week we're gonna look at three uh, stages of Christian development, three stages of maturity in the faith, three stages uh, in our life of following Jesus. And we're gonna look at some things that John identifies as, uh, as identifiers of each of these stages. So I'm gonna read 1 John 2, 12 through 14. And if you'll stand up with me, I'll read it. And then we'll see what John has for us today. 1 John 2, 12 through 14. John says, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the father. And I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Thanks, you can have a seat. So in this passage, John identifies three stages of spiritual development. Uh, back in August, we did a series called Back to the Basics, and in that series, uh, we identified some different stages of spiritual growth as well. Um, and so John, we had said there was five, and it started with lost, not born again, not, not in Christ, and, and, and it led to spiritual maturity. And John identifies these three stages that starts with little children, fathers, and young men or young women, little children, fathers, and young men. John identifies these three stages of faith and he, and he looks at some distinctives, distinctives of each of them. And so he kind of has this repetitive pattern. He says, I've written to you children, I've written to you fathers, I've written to you young men. And then he, and then he starts over, I've written to you children, I've written to you fathers, I've written to you young men. And so we're gonna take the both times that each of those stages occurs, and we're going to look at what it says. So 1 John 12, verse 2, it's going to be on the screen right here. Uh, John says, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Here's the first thing that John tells us. In, at the very beginning of our faith, when we're just children in the faith, now, you might be 50 and be a child in the faith, you might be 80 and be a child in the faith, or you might be eight and be a child in the faith. This is not about physical maturity. This is about our experience in walking out our faith and following Jesus Christ. If you're new in the faith, then you're a child in the faith and you will continue to grow. But, but John says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven. And one of the first foundational things that we have to understand as people of faith is that our sins have been forgiven, amen? That is a great and precious promise. We sang about it this morning. 
when we sang about the wondrous mystery of Jesus Christ putting on human flesh, giving his life for us so that we could be saved. We celebrated it through baptism this morning, dead to sin, alive to Christ. That's the picture of baptism, burial, and resurrection to walk in new life. It's the foundation of our faith. Our sins really can be forgiven. But that implies something. It implies that we first must admit that there's sin in our life. If we're gonna get our sins forgiven, then we first have to say, God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, Paul puts it very simply. In him, that is Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that is sins, according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness is the foundation of our faith, salvation, new life. So John writes and he says, little children, you have come to know that your sins have been forgiven. But then he goes on further and he tells us how our sins are forgiven. He says, on account of his name. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, because of his name. Whose name? The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven because of Jesus, because of who he is, not because of what we've done, not because of who we are, not because of our great effort, not because we're good people. Our sins are forgiven because of the name of Jesus. Now, there is nothing magical about the name J-E-S-U-S. But it's who he is. His name uh, takes in the reality of who he is. The name of Jesus literally means savior. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph, that was the, uh, the fiance of Mary, the mother of Jesus, he was having a hard time because his the woman he was supposed to marry turned up pregnant. And he was like, I don't know what to do about this. And, and she said, Joseph, I'm telling you, an angel came to me and he said that I'm gonna give birth to the son of God. And Joseph's like, I don't know about that. But then an angel appeared to Joseph. And he said to him, don't worry, the child that Mary is bearing is conceived of the Holy Spirit and he will be the son of God and you will call his name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. The name of Jesus literally means savior. It was in the name of Jesus that the early disciples and the early apostles and the early church preached and proclaimed. They spoke about the name of Jesus. They preached salvation and healing and repentance and miracles in the name of Jesus. And the religious leaders got them together in Acts chapter four and they said, hey, y'all gotta cut out that name of Jesus stuff. Stop talking about the name of Jesus. And Peter replies to them in Acts chapter four, verse 12. He said, I don't know what to tell you guys. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. John says, you have come to know that your sins are forgiven, not by your own effort, but because of his 
name. Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 10. One of the first Christian hymns says this, for this reason God highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it continues and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As little children in the faith, we come to know that our sins are forgiven by the name of Jesus. No other name, Peter says. There is no other way to be saved but the name of Jesus. So as John is identifying children in the faith, he says, if you wanna know if if you're a child in the faith, then you know that your sins are forgiven by the name of Jesus, but he continues in 1 John 12, the beginning of verse 14, and it says, I've written to you children because you have come to know the Father. The third thing that he tells us is that we have come to know the Father. That is that God is our Father. We have come to know and understand that he is our Father and we are his children. This is an incredible concept that we can be the children of God. Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 16. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome and he says this, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are children of God. If we have come to know that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ and we've placed our faith in that reality, then we are children of God. That changes who we are, that changes our identity, that changes our reality, and that is the foundation of our faith. And John says, little children, You know these three things. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus, and now you are a child of God. And anyone who has ever come to faith has first realized these truths. And so as John is teaching us to know that we know, he says, do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that it's because of Jesus Christ, and do you know that you have been adopted as a child of God? But then he continues, and he addresses spiritual fathers. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, he says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Now, we've got spiritual children, those who are new in their faith, and it starts with the understanding of who we are, of who Jesus is, and salvation through his name, that we are now adopted as his children. But spiritual fathers and mothers, these are those who have lived out a life of faith. And they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good as we read in Psalm 34 this morning. Psalm 37 verse 25 says this, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. These are people who have lived out a life of faith and have experienced and lived in God's 
faithfulness. We sing the song, Goodness of God. It says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Can you sing that song? All of your life, he has been faithful. He has been so good. John says, spiritual fathers, you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. John uses this idea of knowing God. He talks about it over and over in this letter. He talks about fellowship with God. That is this intimate relationship, this personal relationship with God. And he's saying spiritual fathers are those who have seen throughout their life as as they've lived a life in close communion with the God of the universe, who have abided, who have dwelt in, who have camped out in who God is. They have experienced his goodness and his reality. These are spiritual fathers, and they can look back and say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. God was faithful there. It was touch and go for a minute, but God is faithful. God is faithful. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that has lots of spiritual mothers and fathers in it. There are people in this room who have been walking with Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years. Next week, is our church's anniversary. We celebrate 65 years as a church family together. And there's some people in this congregation who have been here since almost the beginning, walking with Jesus, seeing God's faithfulness in their life and the life of this church family. He has been faithful. And John says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have known the one who is from the beginning. I like the way Paul puts it in Philippians chapter three, verse 10. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, it is my goal, it is my aim, it is my greatest desire to know him, to know him, to know him not just to get good stuff from him, but to know him, not just on the good days, but even in his sufferings, even in his death, I want to know him. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. David says in the Psalms, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Do you desire to know him? If we want to become spiritual mothers and fathers, then it comes through knowing him, abiding in him, seeking to know him above anything else in this life. To know him, to experience him. And then John addresses one other group and and he kind of goes out of order. He starts at the beginning and then he goes to the end and then he goes to the middle when he addresses Young men, and in 1 John 2, verse, the second half of verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. 
there is a implication in this verse that of, of spiritual struggle. There's an implication in this verse that, that, that there is more to the Christian life than just knowing that our sins have been forgiven and just having fellowship with God. There is a part of the Christian life where we're called to struggle. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He said, don't worry, they don't hate you, they hate me, but you're gonna feel like they hate you. <laughs> we're called to struggle in the faith as we follow Jesus. It will not be a road of ease. It will not be painless. But it will be good. And John says, young men, you have conquered the evil one. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through four. He says, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that this life of following Jesus is a race. And he says, y'all, there's gonna be things that are gonna try to trip you up. There are gonna be sins that are gonna to try to knock you off course. But by keeping your eyes on Jesus, the one who forgave you, the one who sustained you, the one who gave you the right to be adopted as children of God, you gotta lay those things aside and follow after Jesus. Consider his life, what he endured, so that you won't give up in your struggle against sin. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the reality of sin and how if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. But part of that reality is that we struggle with and fight against and put sin to death in our lives as scripture calls us to do. We're called to conquer the evil one and we do that in the power of Jesus Christ. So it continues in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 at the end. He says, I've written to you young men, and, and he says, because you are strong. Now we know that our strength is not our strength. The strength that we have as believers comes through the power of the Spirit, the power of Christ in us. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. You might be powerful, but you are not powerful enough. <laughs> you might have incredible willpower, 
but it is not enough. In our struggle against sin, only the power and the strength of Christ operating in us will allow us to conquer the evil one. So Paul says, I'll boast about my weakness so that the strength of Christ can reside in me. John is writing and he says, you've conquered the evil one. He says, you're strong. But we are strong in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is given to us through the spirit. When John says you are strong, he's talking about a spiritual strength. And so the question is, as you are struggling against sin and against the realities of this life, as you are trying to swim upstream against the current as a follower of Jesus Christ, are you trying to do it in your own strength or in the strength that is available to you through Jesus Christ? And if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you will give up in the fight. You will give up in the struggle because your strength will not sustain you. And so this strength that John is pointing to, you, to is a strength that comes through Christ. But he gives us another hint in this passage. He says, I've written to you, uh, young men, because you are strong. But he also says, God's word remains in you. God's word remains in you. If we're gonna experience the strength and the power of Christ in our lives, we access that strength through the truth of God's word. Through the truth of God's word. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's word is truth. Romans 3.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We need God's word to dwell in us so that we can experience God's strength so that we can conquer the evil one in our lives. His word must remain in us. And John says, I've written to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. You are strong his word remains in you. Psalm 119, verse 9, asks a question. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is simply this, by keeping your word. By keeping your word. What role does God's word have in your life? What role does the word of God have in your life? Do you value God's word? Do you read God's word? Do you meditate on God's word? Do you treasure God's word? Are you allowing the word of God to go deep into your heart and your life and to change you and transform you? John says in this stage of spiritual development where we are living out our faith, where we are struggling against sin and against the world around us, where we are, are fighting to follow Jesus and do what is right to honor him and glorify him in our lives. We, we can only do that through his strength and through the power of his word in our lives. And then he concludes, I'm writing to you young men because you are strong, God's word remains in you, and, and he says once again, and you have conquered the evil one. He, repeats this idea. 
A moment ago, I read from Romans chapter eight as we talked about the reality of being adopted as God's children. Romans 8, 16, it says that we are children of God adopted. And verse 17 continues this idea, and it says, if children also heirs, that means we are beneficiary, beneficiaries of the riches and goodness of God, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There will be hardship, there will be suffering in this life of following Jesus. But the end of Romans chapter eight is so incredible. By the way, if you want some homework this week, you can read through 1 John chapter two, but I would also encourage you, read Romans chapter eight. You could read that every day and it would be a treasure for the rest of your life. But Romans chapter eight concludes starting in verse 37. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors. We are more than conquerors, just like John told us. Through him who loved us, that is Jesus Christ. For I am persuaded, convinced, that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this morning, are you a little child in faith? Have you come to know that your sins are forgiven through the name of Jesus? and to know that you have been adopted as a child of God. If so, that is good. That is good. Praise the Lord for that. And as you continue to grow in your faith, that faith will be tested. As you continue to mature in your faith, you will face trials. And you will have to fight against the evil one against the culture of this world that tries to pull you off track. You can only do that through the power of Jesus Christ in your life and the reality of his word that transforms you. Are you there? Are you a young man or a young woman in the faith? Are you struggling? Don't give up, don't give up. Don't give up, don't give up. Because there's some spiritual fathers and mothers who wanna tell you this morning, he is faithful, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful, he is faithful, he is faithful. Whatever you're facing, know this morning that he is faithful, you can trust him. Sorrow may last for the night, scripture says, but joy comes in the morning. He is faithful. Is there someone you've been praying for and it doesn't seem like God is moving? He is faithful, you can trust him. I don't know how that story's gonna end, just to be honest with you, but I know that God is faithful. Is there a sickness that you are enduring? Know that God is faithful. And whether he heals you in this life or whether he heals you in eternity, he is faithful. 
And one day there will be no more sickness. Are you struggling against sin? Is there a sin that has just eaten your lunch? Is there an addiction? Is there bondage in your life that you just can't seem to get over? God is faithful, but you can't do it in your own strength. It has to be through his strength. Is there unforgiveness in your heart? Is there bitterness? Is there something you can't let go of that happened to you in the past? His strength, his word. Don't give up the fight. So this morning, we're gonna sing a song. We're gonna have a time of response. If you need to come and pray, if you're in that stage of struggling and fighting and you just need to come and, and pour out your heart to God and say, God, I need your strength, then come do it this morning. If you have never come to a place of faith in your life, if you do not know that your sins have been forgiven, if you do not know that you are a child of God, today you can know. That's why John wrote us this letter. We can know that we know. And if you want to know this morning, come talk to me and I'll show you how. If you're a spiritual father or mother this morning, we are so grateful for you. And I want to encourage you to be an encouragement to others. We need you to remind us of God's faithfulness. We need you to pray for us, to hold our arms up. Stand up with me this morning, and as we sing, I invite you to respond. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Transform us by your truth this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. As God is leading, I invite you to respond.